This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. How many are here new for this time, for this second thing? All right. Lots of people are moving. It's really challenging when there's so many good things to get in on. So we're expecting that. We understand that. And of course, things are online. <coughs> Excuse me. If you weren't here, the previous one, um, please listen to it. It was about the cross of Jesus Christ and the incredible beauty in its multifaceted nature so that when you meet somebody and they have a different interest, a different need, you can take a certain aspect of the cross of Jesus and share it with them and it will have a huge impact because there are different aspects that are so beautiful and glorious. You wanted to introduce yeah. there. So to what we're going to talk about now in this next seminar is particularly four steps on how you can get the Three Angels messages to mm -hmm. people of other cultures. You, you, it would be very difficult to walk up to someone wearing a turban or something else or maybe mm -hmm. having a hijab on and just like immediately, let me tell you about the three angels and just step by step and give it this. It doesn't usually work that way in most instances. That's usually not the best way to start. So how do we get from I'm different, you're different to eventually getting to spiritual conversations to eventually getting to a point that you can actually start sharing these messages. Four practical steps uh, that are good for witnessing in any situation, but particularly in these, uh, to ensure that you can develop friendships first. Um, so let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll let Scott begin on uh, going through our four-step method here. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege to be able to be here again today, uh, to have people in this room who want to know how do we get this precious message, the most precious message given to mortals, into the hands of the people, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people? Lord, we're grateful for the fact that there's tons of counsel afforded us, and I pray that in the time that we're allotted today that it would be practical, that it would be something that can be applied easily, and uh, that many walls of fear would come crashing down in the hearts of your people um, after realizing that you will be with them and that there are easy means in which this can be done. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> I want to tell you, begin with a story that kind of illustrates the overall approach that we're sharing. <clears throat> and, and then we have a handout for you at the end. So if you're the kind of person who doesn't like to take notes, there's something that will go with you when you go out the door. But if you are and your mind engages better as you're writing down, I encourage you to write. And the specific reason is because I believe that the Holy Spirit is very present at this whole convention. And if you are asking and saying, please talk to me, please get me ready for what I need before I go home, what I need right now in my relationship with you and the service you're calling me to, that he's going to talk to you very specifically he's going to give you a plan he's going to give you the experience with him that you need because there is nobody like you really there are people that you can relate to that nobody else in the world is going to have that same connection and the holy spirit is able to put you together with them even if you don't feel like it at the moment we were back in cambodia we had lived there for six years then we left and we moved back to california for three years got a call to go and direct the Buddhist Study Center in Asia, 
for our church to help people figure out how to reach out to Buddhists. And so we headed out, and the first opportunity we had was to go back to Cambodia, even though we were going to live in Thailand, and stay um, for six weeks, work with the church planters, the new group of 30 young church planters, most of them who'd only been a Seventh-day Adventist for one or two years. We're going to go out and start sharing and planting the church in the city of Phnom Penh. So we worked hard. We taught in the morning. We went out in the afternoons. We were busy. And by the end of several weeks, I was exhausted. I was really tired, and I was tired of people. I'm, I'm fairly strange mix of extrovert and introvert, but I need some quiet time alone. And so I grabbed a book, and I headed down to the Mekong River. And I thought, I'm going to find a nice, quiet place by the river, and I'm going to sit and relax and get rejuvenated. I should have known better. I'd lived in Cambodia for six years, and I'd never found a quiet place. Um, I sat down at a little table. Nobody was sitting there. Got my book out, and um, immediately there were four guys sitting next to me and they wanted to speak English. So being a good missionary, I raised my book <laughs> and kept reading. Uh, I was tired. I did not feel like talking to anybody. And after a while, they went away. So I got to read for a few minutes. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw a guy sitting on a motorcycle, staring off at the Mekong, looking really sad. And the Holy Spirit was nudging me, Scott, you ought to talk to him. I can speak Cambodian, so I thought, well, you know, I could, but I really don't want to. So like a good missionary, I prayed, and I said, Lord, if you really want me to talk to him, make him come over here. Um, and I went back to reading. Well, the next thing I knew, he's sitting right in front of me. So I put my book away and said, okay, Lord, um, I'll try it. And we began to talk, and he shared with me, you know, just, you know, common, I used to live here, what do you do? Oh, your motorcycle taxi, just back and forth a little bit. And then I said, you know what? Can you tell me what's going on? You look kind of sad sitting over there on your motorcycle, like you're having troubles. Tell me about it. And he began to tell me about how hard it was to make a living riding motorcycle taxi, because there were so many of them in Phnom Penh. And I said to him, um, you know, do you have a family? And he said, yeah, I've got a wife, and I have a newborn baby, and I'm living with my mother-in-law, and she's a case, and I don't have enough money. And so anyway, he, it was tough. And I thought, what can I say to this guy? I'm here just for a few minutes. I'll never see him again. Um, Lord, what, what would you have me to say? So I was just sympathizing with him, talking with him. And then I said, can I tell you a story? Um, my wife, when her grandmother was living in America, and I told him the story about how in the Depression, her grandmother had nothing for the family. Her husband wasn't a believer. She was. And how God provided apples and milk. And anyway, it's a great story. I'm telling him all this, and I'm thinking, apples? No, he doesn't eat apples, milk. He doesn't drink milk. Depression, he probably doesn't know when that was or what that was. This is a foreigner story. What can I tell him that will make sense for him? So I told him the story of another friend who in that same city had given his last bag of rice to help somebody and was praying to God to provide for his family's needs. And God helped his wife found this chain of gold out in the rice field that very morning, and it was enough to provide rice for the rest of the year. Yeah. So I shared that story with him, and he's just listening. You know, it's kind of intriguing, this white guy speaking his language poorly, telling him interesting stories. And then I said to him, you know, would you like to know more about this God who can really help you in the situation you're facing? He said, yeah, I would. I said, well, you know, I go back to Thailand on Sunday, 
and I, I won't be around. But I have a friend who'd be glad to come to your house and teach the Bible to you. And so he said, sure. And I said, but I don't know where your house is. And he says, well, jump on my motorcycle and I'll take you there. So we rode off and we went to his house and I met his wife and his baby and the mother-in-law. And, uh, and the next day I brought the pioneer worker to meet him. And they studied the Bible together and I went back to Thailand. So there was God able to use an unwilling missionary who was tired out and didn't feel like talking to anybody, but who had a tiny little opening for the spirit to use with a guy I didn't know, in a short time, able to make a connection. Nine months later, we came back for the big evangelistic meetings. Uh, Elder Mike Ryan and Jan Paulson were speaking, and it was the biggest events for the church there. The church was young, maybe 15 years old, and I'm talking about the church in Cambodia. There was no Seventh-day Adventist church before 92. And so we were excited. But the most exciting part for me was on the last day when they were baptizing people and I looked up and there was that man, the motorcycle taxi man, going down into the water, giving his life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus wants to use us. It's no limit on his power or his desire. The problem is with the messenger who's whatever. God has to work with us. So when we look at it, sometimes it seems really challenging. What are we going to say to people? How are we going to do it? So we're going to just look at four, four steps we're going to go through um, with you. There's more information online at the reachtheworldnextdoor.com website. So I, there's a longer presentation on this and different principles and things that are there that you can look up. But um, this has helped me so much. Whenever I go on a plane, whenever I'm talking with somebody, or if it's an ongoing relationship, these thoughts are going through my mind. They're not my four simple steps. They're principles that come out of Jesus' life, come out of things that Ellen White has written and said. Um, the first one is simply listen. In Ministry of Healing, it says, sympathize with them in their trials, their heartaches and disappointments. This will open the way for you to help them. Do you have anybody who listens to you well? Really? I mean, how many conversations do you have where people are just talking about themselves? I listened to a guy recently who went on for about an hour and a half in a group of people telling his story and going on. No pause to ask questions, to be interested in other people. It's just natural for, for many people. It's just, you know, my, my father, when he, was, when he was young, he was so shy, he could hardly talk to anybody. And he determined he would begin to just ask some questions and get to know people. And now he's one of the friendliest people I know, has made close friendships with many people. God wants us to know how to, to care, how to reach out. Um, so I want to just do a little practice with you, and that is I want us to get to know somebody in this room. So I don't know if there's anybody here that has moved here from another country or lives in another country that would be willing to just come forward and stand next to me and then I'm going to invite you to ask simple questions, not deep personal questions, but as if you were just meeting him or her. Um, and we'll just, we'll just talk about what are good questions when you meet strangers, when you meet people. So would anybody be willing to be that volunteer just to come forward? And I said, preferably someone who's moved to America or at least lives in another country. Anybody willing? OK, come on forward. 
you go ahead. All right, he's being a gentleman. Come on forward. Okay. So yeah, you can share a microphone with her. And and so obviously, you know, if we had a bunch of time, we could all get to know each other really well. But let's just ask her a few questions and we'll let you ask them. Okay. I'm from Canada, Toronto, Canada. All right, from Toronto, Canada. Okay. All right, not not way over the ocean, but Definitely a very unique and special place, but we're supposed to be asking questions. What else do you want to know? Yes, clear in the back. Um, my dad is the youth leader at my church, and so he got a whole bunch of people from churches around my area to come on a bus and just come to GYC. All right. It's kind of on the train. You can give her your okay. We go. I don't need to be talking. Okay. What energizes you? What energizes me? You just mean my like daily life? Or? What gets you going? Track. I sprint. Um, and training always gives me energy. It's kind of my uh, my power. <laughs> yeah, I get energy from that. Neat. Oh, Eden. <laughs> That's a good question. Good question. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, wait, wait for the, if you don't mind waiting for the uh, microphone because then the recording can catch it too. The other question was, what is your name? We finally got to that. How cold is it in Toronto? Right now it's probably negative two right now so not bad not bad normally it'd be a lot colder than that it's not bad at all celsius oh yeah celsius sorry <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is in fahrenheit <laughs> probably around freezing do we have right one more there. example one more question just breaking the ice with someone of a different culture had to start how did you hear about GYC? um my dad like i said but um, I had never been before, so this is my first GYC. So um, I, I was kind of skeptical coming, just because I thought that maybe I wouldn't, maybe this wasn't right for me. But um, my dad really encouraged me to come, and I got some friends to come as well. And so I'm glad I came. Good. Yeah. We're really glad you came too, Eden. We're gonna we're gonna give that other guy one chance too, just a few moments. So go ahead and have a seat, Eden. And you know, we just barely barely got to meet her. But you ask some questions, like your question, what energizes you? What do you get excited about? We began to feel like we knew her a little bit more than just Eden from Toronto, where it's cold, who came here um, with her dad. So we began to know a little more, but she loves track. She loves that, gets excited about that. Okay, right, right here. You want to come on forward? Oh, okay. I know which one it was. All right, we got a different, either one. So our questions okay, come are directional. On, come on our intention with the questions is to get to know them as a person, right? It's easy to resort to really overly simple questions of weather and so on, but we want to begin to develop a relationship and build trust. So what are questions that you have in mind that can be directional in this sense? Okay. okay? But it is good to start with, what's your name? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. My name is Dede Po. Dede Po. Okay, any questions for Tede Po? How many siblings do you have? Uh, I have, oh, sorry. I have two brothers and 
four sisters. All right. I've been here for eight years. Eight years. Okay. Back there. Where are you from? Okay. <laughs> I was born in Thailand in refugee camp called Mela Camp. Okay. Right up here. There's a question up here. What's your biggest fear and why? My biggest, biggest fear. fear? My biggest fear is, um, guess, since I've been here, you know, more, I'm starting to fear that I'm, you know, moving away from God, so I'm trying to get closer to, toward to God now. How long were you and your family in the refugee camp? Well, uh, sorry. Well, I was, I lived there about 10 years, but my parents probably lived there, I would say more than 15 years. Yeah. How old are you? Right now? Right now I'm 18. 18. 18. Um, you mentioned about your biggest fear is that from moving here, you start to be you feel like you're being away from God and so far your first how was your attending here in GYC made you feel about that that fear good question I feel like I'm actually connected now and move closer to it to God because you know because it's really great seeing a lot of people from here and that you know that we believe the same thing and you know that I'm not isolated with the other group so it's really good and make me feel closer. What are some goals for your life? Well, I wanted to be a, I want to go to the army. So that's the reason why I feel like I'm moving away from God. So, and hopefully he'll find out different ways to change that thought. Good. One last question. What are the contributing the contributing factors to this drifting away from God, uh, are they persistent and present? Meaning, are they still there or have you gotten away from them? Uh, are the question is, are, what are the things that have been leading you away from God and do they keep coming? Well, actually I'm attending college right now, so there's, there are more opportunities and different ways to uh, escape that thought. So started, you know, changing a little bit. All right, I have one more question, and that is, what languages do you speak besides English? I can speak uh, Korean and a little bit of Burmese and just a little of Thai. Okay, all right, that sounds, that's excellent. So, Taplu, Jesu Timbare, and Kapkun Kap. Okay, thank you. That was thank you in Korean. Burmese and Thai, which is about all I know in Korean and Burmese. Um, thank you very much. He's, he's, I'm guessing he's Korean, um, from Myanmar or Burma, lived in Thailand, born in the refugee camps, and now come here. There's so much more we could know about this man, wouldn't you say? 
whole lot, and maybe we'll have a chance to. This afternoon, our third session will be about reaching out to refugees and immigrants that have come to, to wherever you're living and how to care in a deep and meaningful way. Did you notice the ease of vulnerability in that dialogue? I mean, that really spoke to me. Like, he was willing to go to a very vulnerable place that many Americans, a lot of times, we're into ourselves, but like immediately, I'm struggling. And, and here's why. A lot of doors with people of other cultures are more open than what you would imagine. She actually says in Evangelism 570 that the people are ready, but people need to realize that they're valued as people. And the questions that you're asking, if they portray that you value them as a person, not as a commodity, that you're wanting to change their philosophy, doors begin to open because you took time for them. <laughs> this, this may sound really, really basic for on how to reach people of other religions. But if you don't know where they're at, how can you share? I mean, you, there's, there's a, a million things you can share from the Bible with anybody, but it just you know, comes out of the blue and hits here and bounces off. But when you know them, you know what their experience has been, you know what matters to them, what they're motivated and moved by. I mean, how, do you, how did you two feel just being asked these questions? Did it feel good? Yeah feels good. feels good to be asked questions. And when you are having that eye contact with them, your body is towards them, you're looking at them, you're smiling, you're responsive, it totally communicates interest and love and care. Um, I find it fascinating. Let's see where my notes are here so I can get the right number. Um, I think it's up here. All right. I find it fascinating that Jesus has in the New Testament, four Gospels, 173 unique questions. He wasn't just a teacher, a preacher. He asked questions to get people to think, to help them. So as you get acquainted first, you can then move deeper to questions like, so, so tell me, what, what religion did you grow up with? That's easier than saying, well, what religion are you? What's he going to ask when I, you know, what if, when I tell him I'm this or that? No, what religion did you grow up with? All my parents were Hindus. Oh, really? You know, what was that like? Well, we didn't do much except we go to the temple you know, once a month or so. Oh, really? And, what, and when you went to the temple, what did you do? Well, we did this and that. And, and now that you're, you're an adult, you know, what of it is still really meaningful and valuable to you? Those are, you know, those are just flowing off my tongue here for a moment. But think about those. You know, maybe write them down. Put them in your mind. Because when you begin asking people about their childhood, about their religion, about their values, if you are truly interested, they begin to unfold to you who they are, what matters. And from there, you have a basis from which to build and go on. Begin to connect what it is and, and how you care. Be ready to receive an answer and with sympathy. Um, mm. I was a Bible worker, and whenever you ask some of those spiritual questions, what would keep you from making such and such a decision? I would have people tell me things that they may not even tell counselors. And in that moment, what do you do? Do you shrink back in fear or do you show sympathy? Wow. Jesus' response was sympathy. So keep that in mind when you are listening and dialoguing with them. Amen. And be ready. That's, that's why you're there for whatever answer may come. Thank you, Dean. Second step, affirm similarities. Affirm similarities. I love this quote from Richard Halverson, former chaplain, U.S. Senate. He says, you can offer your ideas, ideas to others as bullets or seeds. You can either shoot them or sow them, hit people in the head with them, or plant them in their hearts. We have so much to share with people of other religions. 
that we want to quickly jump to the differences. But we should wait and focus on the similarities first. We should connect with them because that is how we bond our hearts together. In Evangelism, page 140, Ellen White writes, agree with the people on every point where you can consistently do so. Let them see that you love their souls and want to be in harmony with them so far as possible. If the love of Christ is revealed in all your efforts, you will be able to sow the seed of truth in some hearts. God will water the seed sown, and the truth will spring up and bear glory to his, bear fruit to his glory. With this, I think of Jesus. You know, picture him leaving heaven. We can't even really picture who he was like or what he was like up there or what it was. But we begin to see him as he becomes a little Jewish baby boy. He looks just like other Jewish baby boys. And as he grows up, he wears the same clothes. And he goes to the synagogue on Sabbath like they do. And he works hard to help his daddy and mommy like other kids do. And he speaks the language of the people. And he does pretty much everything, at least anything that is right, like the others do. He is a Jewish boy. He comes close to the people. Then as he begins to speak and he tells his stories, his parables, he uses things from the shepherds on the field <clears throat> and other things that are very common. These are his ways of coming close to the people. He even uses stories that have questionable points like the rich man and Lazarus because the people know them. He comes close where he can and then takes them farther as he moves. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we connect? How do we um, help them to see? We want to look at a couple, um, a couple, some scenarios in our talk. But I want to just mention one more, one more thing. Uh, I just came back from Myanmar. Uh, was there for 10, 10 days of evangelism. And we have about 30 workers that ASAP Ministries supports. We raise money and prayer support for them. And so we go and we train them, we help them to do their work better, and we hear their stories of what God is doing. And, um, and as, we, um, as we meet with them, it's just so exciting to hear how God is planting the gospel in different parts, different people groups that had no previous knowledge of Jesus. Um, so when I go, I wear a skirt. Now we have you know, maybe some questions about that. Even my son and my brother give me a bad time about it. But it's called a longi. It's not called a skirt. And all the men just about there wear them. And you have to learn to tie them. And the first time they gave me one in this nice outfit, um, I was supposed to stand up front and talk. When you tie this, there's no belts. There's no zipper. There's no buttons. There's, what am I doing? I don't know. So I slipped my belt underneath the flaps and tried to make sure. And then when we got done preaching, we went to eat together. And I'm looking around, and there are these nicely dressed ladies and men sitting down to eat. Where's the spoon? Where's the fork? And I see the ladies, you know, put on a little, serve a little bit of the curry on their rice, and then their fingers just go to work, you know, mix it together. And next thing I knew, they're doing this. So, okay, I'm going to try. I want to be close to the people. I want to come close. I want to be as close as I can. And... As I'm doing it, you know, licking my fingers, you know, remembering my mom saying, Scott, stop using your fingers, use your spoon. But I'm getting past that, and I'm, I'm eating, I'm enjoying this, this is fun, and I'm licking my fingers, and the guy next to me says, not supposed to lick your fingers, that's rude. No. Okay, yeah, just use your thumb and push it in. And... Okay, so, so you know, you, you stretch yourself to come close to people, but that is what binds your hearts. 
but how do we do that in ordinary conversations? Uh, let's, let's practice it for a moment, as if we'd been listening to these people. Okay, you want to read that one for us? Give my... <clears throat> so a Buddhist monk you met in the mall who is asking for alms <clears throat> believes since everything in the world is passing away, we should get rid of all desires, be single, sell everything, and stop eating each day by 12 noon, and devote our lives to doing good works and meditating on what is truly real. Okay, so that's, that's a Buddhist monk packed into five li four lines. Um, <laughs> there's a whole lot of depth in there, but just stop and think for a moment. Do you have anything in common with this guy? Just based on, those, on that little paragraph? And just walk around, and, and if you have an idea, wait for the mic, and Dee will pick up your idea. What is it that you, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, or a Christian in general, have in common with this Buddhist monk? The world is passing away. The world is passing away. Is that a Seventh-day Adventist theme? Amen. All right, it comes in a bunch of ways. Self-denial in favor of others. Self-denial in favor of others. Thank you. There's a hand up front here. Okay. Um, I was going to say the same thing as him when he says doing good works and meditating on what is truly real. So really just serving others and living to others instead okay. of yourself. Living for others, doing good deeds. Desires of the flesh. Okay. Desires of the flesh should be denied, should be put aside. <clears throat> oh, um, well... As Christians, you know, we follow Christ's call to the rich young ruler to, you know, live modestly. And it seems like he's asking people to sell everything. So I guess I can kind of go with that. But. Wow. So, so the radical lifestyle of a monk is actually something Jesus called people to. Not just the rich young ruler, but any disciple. Luke, Luke what is it, chapter 14, where he says, sell all that you have and come follow me. He who does not forsake all. There was another hand somewhere there, right there. Okay, we'll take one more, and then let's go to the next scenario. Just contemplating what truly <clears throat> matters in life. There on the end when it talks about med meditating on what is truly real. We are called to meditate, to consist consider carefully. So, yes. Okay. All right. Um, next one. Go ahead. A Muslim lady whom you met on the plane <clears throat> is proud of her religion. Her husband is faithful to his four wives, providing well for them. He regularly prays and fasts at Ramadan. He does not eat pig or drink alcohol. She wears a head covering, but not the burqa, the full face covering. She believes that we're living in the time of the end and that everyone should listen to what the Prophet Muhammad taught about being prepared for the coming of Jesus. Yeah. Okay, same question. What do you have in common with this lady? Being prepared for the coming of Jesus. Being prepared for the coming of Jesus. Muslims are calling people to be prepared for the return of Christ. Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? Our health message is similar, the not eating pig and alcohol. Okay, excellent. Anyone else? Praying and fasting. What's that again? Praying and fasting? Praying and fasting. All right, the Ramadan. Very important part of their seeking to cleanse their heart and mind. We believe in faithfulness to a spouse. Okay, faithfulness to a spouse. All right, did you, did you hear that? Instead of, instead of arguing about four wives, ha, ah, faithfulness to your spouse. Very good. 
We have a prophet as well. We have a prophet as well. Okay, excellent. All right, that's good. Okay, let's, let's move on to the next one. As you, you can see there's a whole lot to dwell in here with people in, in what is similar. Um, the Hindu lady who owns several gas stations is very <laughs> devoted to her god Ganesh. Pictured as an elephant, she knows it is just a symbol of his power and, and, and desire to bless those who devoted to him. She offers incense and various gifts at the temple dedicated to Ganesh. She believes that there is only one god, but that he is represented in many various gods and idols. Prayer is an important part of her life, and she asks for help before she does any new business venture. Oh, now wait a minute. We have a lot in common with Jews and Muslims and other Christians, but with Hindus? What do you think? Okay, good. I'm glad there's a hand going up. Um, well, you could kind of relate the concept of prayer, showing that she has faith, and then I guess you guys can lead into something talking about prayer and faith. Excellent. I was amazed to see the devotion, the prayer, the awareness when I went to India. Anyone else? Clear in the back there. She believes that there are many gods represented by the different idols, and you might be able to pull that similarly, um, we believe in one god that's represented in many different character aspects and different names throughout the Bible. Okay, so the idea that we believe in one true God who has shown himself in various ways, that there might be something to connect with. See, sometimes, you're, as we're coming up to the next one, sometimes you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want to affirm their religion because I know that their religion also leads to idolatry and is against God in various ways, false concept of, of, of salvation. So, so what I have found, what I tend to do is not to try to affirm the commonalities of religion, but to focus on values. The fact that they are praying, the fact that they are devoted, the fact that they are thinking about what is unseen. These are things we can say, yes, I believe also that there are things we cannot see that are very real that we need to understand what they are. There's good and bad. We should figure out which is which and how to discern. So there's a lot we can hold in common. Let's go ahead and skip this one. And uh, before we come to the differences, I'd like you to share, um, share about your experience with a Muslim. So there was, uh, when I worked at this nonprofit where we were taking care of people of eight different language groups and were interpreting for them, for their family specifically, I met a guy who had met a church member with me. It's a small church plant on a university campus, and the guy who went to my church was American, was the janitor for a Baptist church. And they had this movie night where they were projecting a movie on the wall of the church, and this Muslim family shows up. And the guy's name is Ali, and his wife has the head covering, and then they got two beautiful little boys. And Chris greets him and says, Assalamu alaikum. It's a, it's a Muslim greeting. And he says, hey, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And he starts with the similarities. He says, and uh, I don't eat pork, I don't drink alcohol, uh, our women believe in modesty, and that we keep the Sabbath the same day that Ibrahim and Ishmael kept. So he, he immediately drew to similarities with him, and the guy told him, I must meet your Lord. <laughs> then the guy comes to my office a few days later, uh, because he just signed up for school, and he wanted the, the school, we had a good relationship with the international de department of the, of the school for newcoming students, he, um, his wife were going to interpret for her and for the boys for medical visits. And 
So he comes in, and I, I greeted him the same way, assalamu alaikum, and I told him which that means? He, uh, which means the peace of God be upon you. And so I had told him, um, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. He said, I've met one of you before. And so immediately there was positive name recognition with Adventism. But then I told him, um, I just kind of asked a few questions about him. And I said, hey, um, welcome to America. And this sad look came on his face. And you know what he said? I've been here for a month. You're the first person to tell me that. And I told him, well, I'm sure you would do the same for me. And he said, you have no idea. And I said, actually, I do. And this is a strange place you may think to take him, but I took him to Genesis chapter 19 with the story of Lot and uh, in Sodom. And you may be thinking, no, don't take him there. Don't tell him about that stuff. But here's the deal with that story. The reason why Lot offered his daughters was because in that culture, anytime you have a guest in your home, they're more important even than family. It's a cultural thing. And so I was able to explain to him from Scripture that this idea took place. And so we continued to bless him. I, anytime I would see him, I'd be super friendly. Chris would see him, and I, I guarantee you the next day I would see him. God just kept doing this. So he'd see an Adventist, then see another Adventist. Then he, Chris would see him again, then I'd see him again. And then when we had this interaction for a few months, um, I go to the... No, I was handing out glow tracks on the university campus, and I was using the one that says a forgotten dream, or the, the Daniel 2 one by Signs of the Times. And he says, well, what are you handing out? First of all, he was bragging about the fact that he had debated his professor in front of everyone about evolution. So my professor was talking about evolution. I told him, no, there's one God. He's a creator. You don't know what you're talking about. This Muslim guy was debating his professor in a public school. So he was proud of it, and he knew I could relate. He knew that mattered to me. And so he shared that, that similarity. But then I told him about Daniel 2, and he told me something that I haven't looked into myself yet, <clears> but he said, we have something just like this in the Quran." the vision of Daniel 2. He said, we have something just like that in the Quran. He said, really, I'd love to see that. So I gave him the Anchor Point Films Forgotten Dream DVD as well to give him more information. Then I go to the DMV just before I leave Illinois, and I'm there with my dad. We're renewing the plates in the car or something. I forget what it was. But Ali shows up with his family, and he comes up to me and says, oh, and I got up and I greeted him and said, oh, it's so good to see you. And his wife came over and she shook my hand. Now, in Muslim cultures, women don't do this. But because of the kindness I had shown and because she knew she was in a different country, it didn't matter to her. So she shook my hand, and then I said, Ali, I want you to meet my dad. <laughs> Bear with me. I said, I want you to meet my dad. And so I go over and introduce him, and he, he goes and he looks at my dad and I with such sincerity, and he says, thank you for giving him as a gift to the world. <laughs> it meant the world to him that someone looked at him and saw a valuable person. Amen. Not a commodity, not somebody who believes in all kinds of atrocious things. In fact, every time I meet Muslims, the first thing I tell them is I apologize on behalf of Christianity and the American media. I, say, I don't believe that stuff, and I want you to know that I see you as a real person. Every time I meet a Muslim, I do that. Because a lot of the stuff that happens in these situations mm -hmm. is, is people are afraid, they seem like they're different people. He's a person. He has value. Christ died for all, no matter what their history or background or other things may be. That mattered to him, and it meant the Amen. world to him. The way that you do that is by listening and yeah. affirming. The way you have that kind of relationship and experience is by connecting with them and their values, things that really matter. Yeah. That then gives you the privilege, through love and caring, to share the differences through stories. Step number three, share the differences. We cannot leave it with just, oh yeah, we share lots in common. We have something that must be shared, and we have so much to share, but how to share it? We sow through stories. Jesus, it says, never told 
never taught without telling a story. And we can do something very similar. I love the quote in Desire of Ages 347, our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. Not one of many, but his chosen one, his special way. We are to acknowledge his grace is made known through the holy men of old, but that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. Mm. These precious acknowledgments to the praise of the glory of his grace, when supported by a Christ-like life, have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. Would you like to be an irresistible witness? Amen? That is the power of personal experience, connection with God yourself, and sharing your testimony. But maybe you say, what testimony do I have to share? I haven't had a great conversion story. We're talking about anything that God has done for you. Helped you find your watch the other day. What? That's not a big deal. Well, it was at the moment, wasn't it? Yeah, I looked everywhere. Smartphone, that's a better illustration. Couldn't find my smartphone anywhere. I don't have a watch either. Um, finally, after praying, I immediately thought of a place and I found it. When you are talking with somebody, when you've related and they're, you're interacting and, and they're you know, saying, you know, I'm, not, I'm really not sure if there is a God or not. I'm not sure. I used to think so. I grew up with it, but I don't know now. And you say, you know what? It is hard to know. You can even affirm the struggle to believe in God. That's a struggle, right? Affirm it. But then say, you know what work, You know what has helped me is that when I pray, things happen. Not every time like I want to, but for instance, the other day I lost my smartphone and I searched for an hour for it and I couldn't find it. Finally, I stopped and I prayed. And you know, I found it 30 seconds later. It was like God gave me an idea. That's what I'm talking about as far as sharing your testimony. Little things, sowing seeds wherever you can and as often as you can. It is, it is powerful. It is effective. I remember, yes, go ahead. <clears throat> One thing that I've heard from another presenter is just being a thankful person. Uh, being a thankful person allows you to uh, say, I'm thankful for this weather. To the atheist mind, he's got nobody to be thankful. He or she has nobody to be thankful to. And really just people seeing that positivity from you is going to impact them in a different way than the rest of the, our culture or in a lifestyle in our everyday life. Amen. I appreciate that very much. You know, this, this can work in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different settings, but with any truth that you're wanting to share. Um, <clears throat> I think of when we, Julie and I were living in Thailand with our three kids. <clears throat> there was a health center right near our house where I had my office. And I went up there one day for breakfast. There was a group that had passed through, a lot of Buddhists coming through. This time there was a Japanese lady, and she was not a Christian. And I just met her there at breakfast, sat down with tray next to her, and we were just talking. And I said, I said, didn't you love that thunderstorm last night? I just love watching the lightning flash and the thunder crash. She looked at me like I was crazy, and she said, not me. I was so scared I couldn't sleep. It was really hard. But then she said, she said, but but then, you know, I'm scared of everything. My friends make fun of me. I'm scared of cats. I'm scared of dogs. I'm scared of the rain. I'm scared of everything. And I smiled and I said, well, some people are like that. It's okay. I said, in fact, my wife has been through some things like that. And I told her about how when we lived in Cambodia, and even though the Khmer Rouge was out in the jungles, occasionally there were landmines nearby. And we were always hearing stories of people being shot. And one day while I was out at a branch Sabbath school, Julie sticks her head out the window 
and suddenly has a gun pointed at her head. You know, she understood what fear was like. It wasn't my story, but I'm sharing my wife's story. It's affirming something she's experienced. And then I said, do you want to know what helped her? Because she was so paralyzed, she couldn't even leave, leave the room. And I said, she began to read from the ancient scriptures that talk about a God who is with us, who protects us. And every time she had a fearful thought, instead of focusing on it, she'd open the Bible and find a promise about how God would protect and help her. And eventually, after she kept doing this over and over, she was able to go out her door and even live through a coup in that same country. That's what it means. It doesn't have to be your story. It can be someone else's story. And I invite you to even think of the various problems people have and to have a little notebook where you start writing down stories based on those different areas. Ellen White actually mentioned this to someone. <clears throat> they wrote to her and said, I can't think of anything good that has happened in my life. She said, I, I can't. And Ellen White said, I want you to start writing down every time, sometime, every time something happens God intervenes in your life, write it down and frame it and put it on your wall and just put them everywhere. It's a good thing for you to do, not only in this witnessing situation, but for you to be reminded of the fact that when things get dark and difficult, it's not that God has never been there, it's that the situation has eclipsed what God did before. And we need to be reminded of those previous faithfulnesses uh, that we've experienced. So it would be very wise of us to document those things. We're people that are very prone to forget, unfortunately. And uh, there are many benefits that can come from mm -hmm. that. Thank you. This is a major way that we can talk even about doctrines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might want to move it up a little bit so it's a little closer. Thank you. Um, you can tell about the Sabbath through people's experiences of testing and experiencing blessing from the Sabbath or blessing when they lost their job and stayed faithful and God eventually provided for them. You can teach about the state of the dead. If you haven't experienced that, don't have a testimony about that. But the peace that someone had as they faced death and as they passed away, the hope that it gives you personally as you think and you miss your mother or whoever you have lost, these are real stories that people will listen to and believe because they are coming from a friend, from somebody supported by a Christ-like life has an irresistible power. Amen? So you've listened. You've affirmed what's in common. You have shared stories. And I want to mention one more thing. It's also Bible stories. When you come up to a situation, I think this is so important to share. I'm glad God brought it to my mind. For instance, reincarnation. Someone says to you, you know, I am so sure that reincarnation is true because this little boy went to the house that he'd never been to before and he began to dig under the tree and he found some old toys and he said I feel like I've been here before maybe I used to I, maybe I used to live here and sure enough at that house there was a little boy that had died 20 years ago and, and so reincarnation must be true I mean there are lots of stories out there like that stories about spirits power various things and you say, no, that's not true. The Bible says once to die and then the judgment. They're like, maybe your Bible says that, but I know this is true. How do you overcome that? Well, you can take time through the Bible, through teaching them, and, and truth can replace the lie. But in a moment, when you only have 10 minutes, you can also tell the great controversy story and say, can I share with you, with you a story that helps me to understand the many different beliefs about death that are all around the world? You go back and you just paint the scripture from Satan in heaven, his determined attack against the character of God, his attempt to teach that there is not really death there right in the Garden of Eden throughout his time, through the centuries, and what he has done. 
And then after you've shared the story and say, you know, the Bible says that when we die, it's like a sleep and there is nothing more except for the judgment and then God will raise the dead. You share that part and then say, this is a story and I believe it's true, but you'll have to think about it. You'll have to wrestle with it and think about if it were true, wouldn't it be nice to know that? Wouldn't it be wonderful? And then let them have the space to think and to process. Let's jump to the last one. Step number four is invite to a new experience. Even after you've done all this other, if you stop before step number four, you are leaving them without having made a decision, without having experienced it for themselves. And so in, by Ellen White in pamphlet 118, it says the secret of our success and power will be found in making direct personal appeals to those who are interested having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. Now, I don't, as far as I know, this is not in any other book of hers. This is something quoted by Louis Torres in his book about persuading people. And it's powerful. The secret of our success and power will be found in making direct, direct means to the person you've been talking with, personal, close, friendly, oriented, appeals to those who are interested, don't do it when they're, you know, glazed over, but when they're ready, when they're ripe, the Holy Spirit's leading you, having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. All these nice things we're talking about are nothing without the power of the Spirit. But you're asking them. And we're going to give some examples of how that is. As a Bible worker, <clears throat> I encounter this all the time, that through spending time with the person, you get to know them, their needs. And as you make appeals throughout the process, they start to reveal things about themselves. Like our brother shared earlier this morning, he was very vulnerable you can then work through the process of keeping in mind their needs, their difficulties, and when God brings you to different points in the studies with different interactions that you have, it can be tailored to this individual. And that's the point that she's making here, that you're making a direct application to something that they themselves are wrestling with to help them through it, right? You're not just using canned things, but they need to be handwritten for them, if you will, in what it is that they're dealing with. And I saw time after time, the Spirit of Jesus is already working on their hearts. It, it, they're ready, but it's just a matter of us addressing it to them to bring them to the point of actually making a decision. Sometimes we're afraid of that, but God is with them already. Amen. And long before it's a decision to give their hearts to Christ or to keep the Sabbath, it may be something as simple as, you know, you've just been sharing with me about how worried you are about your teenager, that you think he's getting into drugs and he's in the wrong crowd. Would it be okay if I prayed for him? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I don't know who you're praying to. Maybe they're Hindu, Buddhist background. But I need all the prayers I can get, sure. In all the many times I've offered to pray for people, I don't think I've ever had a single time when they've said, no, I don't want you to pray. It's always, yes, please, thank you. And you can turn it in a second step after time. You can say, why don't you try praying before you go to sleep at night? You're having a hard time sleeping in the night. Why don't you try reading the Bible or praying? Another one that I, that I like to do, if you're talking with somebody who is having problems in their marriage and they've been complaining about their wife and, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> and they say to you, you know, I'm, I'm ready just to walk out. This is not working. I don't have any love for her. It's just, you know, she's just so hard to live with. And then saying to them, you know, I know it can be tough. Whether you've had it tough in your marriage or you have friends that do, you can affirm that. 
and then say, but I've really found there's power in this ancient book. In fact, there's a scripture that I'm going to write on a card for you, and I want you to try, if you want to do this, I want you to take it and try saying it every time before you say anything to her, before you do anything, before you think, just, just put this in your mind. Yeah, what is that? What could an old ancient scripture do to help me? Well, it's worked for me, so up to you. You want to try it out. This is what it is. It's in Ephesians. Ephesians, what's that? Well, don't worry about it. Just let me write it out for you here. Okay, it says, Husbands, love your wives as your own body. What? That's it? Yeah, that's it. Husbands, love your wives as your own body. Just write it down. Before you say anything, do anything, mad at her, whatever, just go over it. He starts thinking. He starts trying. He starts facing. About to yell at her. Would I yell at myself? No. Would I look at her? Would I, look, would, I, would I want to look at myself like that in the mirror? No. The Word of God is powerful, and it can be as simple as a proverb, a phrase, something that they can then do. This works with Sabbath, too. Uh, okay, how do, you, how do you get someone to experience the Sabbath before they even believe? We would do this in Thailand with our Buddhist neighbors. We would invite them to spend a Sabbath afternoon with us in nature. In fact, our whole church experience was quite experiential, where they could walk with us in nature and we'd share stories or try different things. And um, we would just invite them to come. So there we are in nature. One of the activities we did was we had the children and their families run around and pick leaves on our property. And they would pick their favorite leaf and bring it back, father and mother too. So they come back and they lay them out and we talk about the different differences in them. We say, you know, what can you learn from that? Well, you know, we're different in the family, all right? But what are leaves for anyway? For shade, and somebody comes up with the idea, and they give us oxygen. Yeah, you know, in the city, we've got the, all this bad air coming in, and they take it in, and then they give the good back. What can we learn from that? We start to think, hey, that's how daddy should be when mommy does this. Instead of yelling at her, he should be kind back. And so there's just thousands of lessons in nature that as you lead people out to experience creation, then they start asking, where did this come from? Why are all these here? There must be a teacher behind it. There must be a creator. So they're experiencing Sabbath before they even believe, and there'll be time enough for the seal of God and the mark of the beast in time. But let them experience the truth. Let them experience these things and eventually be led to able to make a decision for Christ. You talked about one with health, too, of just like, why, why don't we go for a walk sometime? You know, I like to walk with my family. Would you like to come and join us for a walk, maybe come over for some smoothies or something else? Gently introducing things through your friendship over time are ways that you can start to build trust, and you can now refer back to those experiences when you start teaching them more things later. Remember whenever we talked about the fact that you decided you wanted to walk too and you noticed a drop in your blood pressure or whatever? Did you know there's ways that you can build off these friendships and these invitations as you go that bear a lot of fruit? It takes time, but they do bear lots of fruit. And it's helpful even to understand why do I do the things that I do and invite people to that experience. It even helps you to better appreciate the things that you yourself are already doing in doing this as well. Four simple things. But each person is complicated and unique, and we are just humans who really don't have a clue. So depending on the Holy Spirit, asking God to put his words in our mouth, asking him to lead us, only he can move in the heart and reveal what we are needing. So the power of prayer is absolutely essential. 
we're handing out to you a pamphlet, right? Um, a paper that has some of these things here. As I mentioned, at the reachtheworldnextdoor.com website, there's a lot more that you can gather from. And we want to put one more thing in your hand. Um, would you mind passing one more time for us? Can you help us pass these cards out as well? If you were here earlier for the first session, you already received one. And, um, but if you haven't, we want you to know of resources we have, as well as have you actually make a step. This is this fourth one, invite you to experience. I'd like to invite you to experience the joy of making a friendship with somebody of another culture and religion in the next six months. Would you be willing to do that? Just choose to find somebody who's of a different religious background and make a friend as we've been talking about today. If you're willing to do that, take this little card and um, let's see, can you make sure? I think everybody's got one, I'm not sure. Just raise your hand if you don't have a card yet. I think it's the back section. If, that's your willi if you're willing to do that, just check that first one. The second one is to pray to begin praying for the world next door. We have a bunch of good resources for prayer. You could actually pull together a team in your city or in your church or at your university and say, would you meet once a week and let's just pray for the international students on our campus. Let's pray for the immigrants and refugees in our, in our community. Um, so that's the second one you could check. The third one, we have a kit called Reach the World Next Door that takes a group of people in 16 get-togethers out into the community, church planting. Shirley Finneman, sitting right here, has been through that kit and different parts of it, and they have a new group of Zomi believers from Myanmar meeting in their church. They are teaching them English through hymnals and all kinds of fun things. Um, that's something you can do. And if you're interested, you let me know. We have some of those kits with us here that we can get you started on that. And the last one is we have a podcast that goes out each week, a short little video presentation for inspiration for, for, um, for missions. Yeah. Sorry, my mind is running in three directions. So if you, if you fill that out now and you want to leave it on your seats, just leave it right there and we'll pick it up. But if you're still thinking, and you'll be back at this afternoon, you're still thinking about which commitments you want to make, you can hang on to that and share that. We're going to be talking about refugees and immigrants, this huge crisis in the world right now, how God is wanting to use that to finish the work. And I would like to invite you to spread this news to other people. This really is a major way God is wanting to finish his work in the world. And he needs thousands of laborers to take this up and to say, I'm going back to my university. I'm going to reach Buddhist, Muslims, and Hindus. I'm going back to my community. I'm going to get my church on fire. So not only this commitment, but we have some cards that we're going we're gonna to set or we're going to pass out now too. Why don't we just pass these out too? You don't mind helping me again. Um, Picking just new volunteers just, on this just side. Take, take two of these cards, try to get two different ones, and they have a quota statistic, and I'd like to invite you to share one with somebody else over lunch, even if you just have to hand it to them in line at, at, at the cafeteria. But if you can, stop and pray with them about this situation and encourage them to think about these things and to get involved. Does that sound good? So hope to see you when you come back if the Lord doesn't lead you somewhere else that he needs you to be. So what's that? One, two. 
Yeah, if you want to wait just a few more seconds till everybody gets one, we can close with a prayer and head off for that line and lunch. Any questions, any thoughts while they're passing those out still? What's that? Next is plenary. Okay, it's not lunchtime yet. My stomach is leading my brain. <laughs> so, Has this been helpful and, and practical ways that you can actually take this and apply this? Has this been helpful for you guys? Okay. Praise the Lord. The, the other card that he talked about, the My Language, My Life, the business cards are in the okay, back of the room. Thank you is a, an amazing resource. They've gone through the work of taking all the resources that can be found of Bible studies, sermons, and other things in different languages and put them in one place. Um, I know that like Amazing Facts has Bible studies in Chinese, and you have some ministries in random places. They've all been collected and put in one particular website. It's called Reach the World Next Door. My Language, My or, Life. Sorry, yes, My Language, My Life. And those cards mm. um, have a website link on them. From there, it's subtitled in the different languages. So even if you don't have the language, if you don't speak the language of the person you're speaking to, you can give them this card and say that there's something here for them, and they can go on the website and then access stuff in their own native tongue, uh, which is, uh, it was a lot of work to get the thing together. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, they're, again, in your outreach cards whenever you go out on Friday, or that tomorrow. Um, and to share even in your own community, there's more back there. On the back is actually a phone number of a pastor here locally, so that when they are handed out, that people can actually follow up with them and uh, help with that. It's an awesome resource that exists in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, if you know of people in, in uh, diverse settings like that, please make sure that they get those. Okay, to summarize, since we've been throwing all kinds of things at you, like the leaves of autumn here, if you're ready to turn this in, you can leave it right on your seat and we'll pick it up. If you have two of these in your hand, you want to keep one and you want to share one, or you want to share them both with somebody over lunch before we meet again, and pray with them if possible. And third, the ones that you don't have in your hands, there's a box back there. It's a little business card that you can share with the person who's cleaning your room or someone at the restaurant that you meet here who has materials in over 100 languages that they can look up in their own heart language. So Dee, would you pray for us? Sure. Let's go ahead and stand together as we conclude this part. Father in heaven, I thank you that there are means through which Jesus used in ministering the people in his day that are still relevant and powerful and effective. And I thank you for stepping us through them. I pray that we would be more willing to listen, uh, that we would be slow to speak and quick to listen, as James mentioned. Um, and Father, I also pray that we would be looking for ways in which we can not just see that people believe things different than us, but finding ways for commonality. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would find ways to be more intentional in each of these different steps. Um, and that we would see big differences in the relationships that we have in our life, not just of other cultures, but in all relationships, and learning to be a better listener and sharer on your behalf. So bless the labors of those in this room. Father, I pray that you'd bless the remaining meetings that take place this day. And I pray that you would prepare this community for the outreach that's happening tomorrow, and particularly the international residents who will be receiving these cards, uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, heard in their mother tongue, would do something in a mighty way. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to such a thing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. 
To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.